This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe plug-in hybrid is built for the best of both worlds. For the city buzz, for the call of the wild, for finding solitude, for sharing memories, for day trips, and for far-roaming adventures. Because with gas and electric capability, the Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe inspires you to explore more, to explore it all. Tap the banner to learn more. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello, and welcome to Instant Genius a bite-sized masterclass in podcast form. Each week, you'll hear world-leading scientists and experts talking about the most fascinating ideas in science and technology today. I'm Jason Goodyear, commissioning editor at BBC Science Focus magazine. Are you thinking about retiring? Or maybe someone in your family is? Hopefully, we'll all reach the age where we can at some point. But how do we navigate it in good mental and physical health? For ourselves and for our loved ones. In this episode, we speak to Tanya Wiseman, Associate Professor of Occupational Therapy at Swansea University. She runs us through what happens in our bodies and brains when we retire and how we can best cope with it. So obviously retirement is an age-based concept and the current retirement age in the UK, I think, is 65. But what do we know about that and when does the average person in the UK retire? Well, there are lots of answers to that, but the main one is either when they can afford to retire or when they are forced to retire. So either through ill health or poor relationships at work. So uh, many people retire in their early 50s, 50s, about the, the earliest age you could draw a pension at for some pensions. And many people don't retire at all. So it's the idea of retirement age is a bit troublesome, really. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And I think, like, first off, a great, coming off that, a great thing to look at is for people who are yet to retire, you know, the so-called resignment anxiety. I mean, I know personally as someone who is middle-aged, this this can be an, an issue and something you think about. So what are the main concerns there? 
Well, um, one of my favourite terms for that is pre-retirement. So people are, are, there, are thinking about it or are planning. So one of the problems I think with working towards retirement is the uncertainty. So mm-hmm. none of us know how our life is going to be, how our health is going to be. The only thing we can, to some extent, plan for is our finances in later life. So mostly that's what people do. And that causes a a great deal of anxiety because everybody knows that a pension is is less money than the working wage. Mm -hmm. And that makes life concerning. Um, One of the things that I've begun doing, because I'm I'm also someone that's looking towards retirement at some point, not in the near distant future, but, you know, at some point, sometime maybe, is thinking about what am I waiting for? Mm. Why am I waiting for? Why am I waiting till a certain point in time where I no longer have the everyday structure of work in order to do the things I want to do? And what of those things can I do already? What can I crack on with now? And so starting to think about, you know, my life's not going to suddenly change and be different because one day I stop going to work. All of those other things in your life that you do, you know, you you do your daily chores, you look after yourself, you look after other people, you have to Mm. shop and care for for yourself, you have to care for pets, you know, all of those normal everyday things, they still take up a lot of time. So you always have to practice. It's like, um, I think retirement's kind of a marathon these days, isn't it? It's not a sprint. So if you're lucky and you're in good health and you retire around 65, you can look forward to a good 20 years, probably quite a lot more of Mm. retirement time. And that hasn't always been the case because it used to be that people retired and and they looked at two or three years. Mm. And then of course there are some people, that's not to say, you know, some people never get to retire because they just don't get to that, you know, that time where they can. So there's a a real big disparity there. But the, uh, the sense of practicing and rehearsing for retirement and I would say, you know, having some fun as if as if you're a retired person rather than waiting for it to come. Because if you're unlucky, it won't come anyway. So that's a really interesting point. So we're talking about perhaps life expectancy yeah. and things like this. I mean, I think in what I know, that's changed quite dramatically, hasn't it? Yeah. Over the last hundred years. Can you tell me a bit about that? Absolutely. So there are Two main things that influence somebody's life expectancy. Um, one of them is the geography of where and when they're born, and the other is luck. So life is full of twists and turns and, and all sorts of luck. One of the, the major elements of luck I consider is, is the, um, the, the genetics somebody's born with. So, you know, if somebody may have a, a likelihood of developing a condition or an illness that comes with them. And that's pure luck. So the chances of that one little egg and that one little sperm getting together and bringing together you as a unique human being, the luck that's involved in that is, is immense. Uh, and then and then we have the geography, the luck of the time at which you're born and the place in which you're born. And then all of the amazing things that come around that. So your family of origin, the opportunities you have educationally, all of these different expectations that come upon you because of who you are and where you were born. And they all add into to look towards your life expectancy 
and there's a big buck coming. So you can do, there are some wonderful online predictors. You can put, you can put your information in and it'll ask about, yeah, they're great fun. I've got, um, I get around about 93. So I'm planning a very long retirement, just keeping my fingers crossed. Nice. Um, you can put in various predictors and it'll ask um, when you were born, how long your parents lived, which is obviously that genetic marker thing. Mm. Um, assuming they are actually your genetic parents, which it doesn't account for very well. And, you know, what kind of level of education, all of these are indicators of how long someone might live. So I knew all of this when I started my study. But then, then I did my study. And instead of looking at great big groups of people, I looked at individuals. And strangely enough, they didn't know that stuff. So it didn't stop them living a good life. So one of the people in my study, he was in his late 90s, and he had lived a very, very full and rich life. So he left school at 13 with no qualifications and became a painter decorator, which, as you can imagine, was a quite hazardous job at the turn of the, the century, which is, you know, sort of beginning of the First World War. And, you know, he had a lot of geographical and time pointers against him. And mm. then as he went through his life, he, he left school at 13. So that would suggest he wouldn't have a long life expectancy but he didn't know any of that, and I'm awfully glad he didn't because he's lived a really long and enjoyable life. And one of the things that I noticed was that he became a soldier during the war. He met a nice lady. She was someone that wanted to own a home. They bought a house together and had a family, and they had a wonderful 50-year marriage, which was very rich. So his his origin, if you like, his, you know, his demographic markers that would have him down as someone that's going to die quite young, they were interfered with because he lived a different a different life and because he didn't live his life on his own and none of us do so i think we need to be cautious with those kind of predictions and we need to be really aware mm. of you know thinking well you know i because we're not individuals not really we don't live on our own we don't live our lives on our own we live them with mm. other people and so it's much more complex the system that we find mm. ourselves within if we're thinking about our age prediction and how long we're going to live so you can't you can't bank on living a nice short and um, and very full of things retirement. Um, you might find yourself living an awful lot longer than you expected if you were to look at just the demographics. That's really fascinating. So what do we know about longevity then? I mean, can you even say anything about that? What we know about it mainly comes from big demographic studies, and by their nature, they look at individuals. Um, so so we have that sense of being able to have a good sense of how long someone might live but it doesn't account for the the randomness of life and and the luck the bad luck the good luck Hmm. the you know the excitement of being with or not being with other people um sometimes the trauma of being with other people so it doesn't account for all of that it just accounts for um it's some very simple information and it's the information that someone would use, for example, to decide how much they're going to charge you for your life insurance policy or how much of a return they might give you on um, on investments for retirement. Because that, those are the those are the people that are working with big data because they have to, because otherwise they'll get the sums wrong and there won't be enough money to go around. So this might be a very basic question, but when we're talking about retirement, mm-hmm. we're talking about finance and financial worries so in these times yeah maybe more than ever i think people are they're really worried about when they can actually retire yeah you know what what's the situation there you know is it actually getting worse or, or are we just getting more anxious well 
I think both in a way. So one of the things about people in later life is that they are people that have survived. They are the survivors. So the demographic of people in later life is is what I'd call a filtered demographic in that people that were very ill earlier in life um, or very, very poor generally won't make it into those later stages. So many people in later life are still ill and are still poor, but many more are quite well off financially. But Mm. one of the things that's happened recently is people have realised that you can't plan so easily as maybe you used to be able to. So, for example, people in my study, many of them had retired, all of them had retired more than eight years ago. Some of them had retired 30 years before because that initial transition phase, change is difficult for everyone. There's no point studying that point unless you just want to study change. If you want to study retirement, you have to wait a good chunk of time. So I waited eight years. And imagine if you'd been retired for 30 years now, you wouldn't have planned for your mobile phone bills, your streaming services, your Deliveroo, your um, Amazon account, your oh any number of things. You wouldn't have planned for any of that. You'd have just planned for your TV license, which you'd have thought would be free, which mm-hmm. isn't. So in this little period of time where people in their 40s, 50s, 60s are thinking towards retirement, they've seen the goalposts move pretty dramatically. And they know now that, you know, yes, you can plan, but you don't know who's going to come in with a, a whole new set of things that you're going to have to have or be left behind. So that's that's really difficult. But one good thing that's happened is compulsory retirement age has been abolished. And that means people can continue to work if they need to or they can return to work if they need to. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddleboards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Oh, that's an interesting thing that I'd like to speak to you in a bit. But so one thing that I think lies heavy on a lot of people that are pre-retirement age, mm-hmm. such as myself, is... It's not a nice thing, is the death of their parents. Yeah. So obviously that can be a huge blow. It is a huge blow to everyone. And I'm sorry for anyone who's experienced that. But you know, how does that how does that fit in with you you know, sometimes it can be a of course it's always a big blow, but sometimes it can be you can get inheritance sometimes you don't get inheritance i mean i mean I, it's a not, not a nice thing to speak about but yeah like how do we cope with how psychologically how do we cope with that well it's it is difficult and thankfully these days i think a lot of pre-retirement people don't have to worry about losing their parents because they are living so long so mm. you know chances are you'll be retired before your parents do do pass on because the the, you know, the average that life expectancy is 82, 83 at the moment. It's changed a little. I haven't looked at the most recent figures aren't out yet since COVID, but um, 82, 83 is not uncommon. 
So you may well be yeah, just, you know, heading into retirement or retiring at the same time as your folks. And that's not something that many years ago people would have anticipated. So um, I think particularly people at the upper end of coming towards retirement maybe thought that, you know, that would that wouldn't be the case. So, yeah, I think um, when people are generally financially very independent by the time they're approaching retirement and uh, that idea of an inheritance from parents, for some families, that's the case. But I think for most people now, it's not something to plan on because, of course, you then have the potential cost of care as well if someone's mm. unwell and lived a long time. So and I think there was a, a wonderful spell where adverts all changed on the TV from kind of a quite a dark view of later life to quite a, a joyous one where, you know, this, the, the, the yeah, adult parents of very adult people were definitely having fun and spending and, and enjoying enjoying that money. And um, it's not that everyone does. Everybody's different. They've got their own individual attitudes. But yeah, I think these days, you know, the idea that someone would would be on quite a reduced income for maybe 20, 30 years and then still have quite a lot at the end is quite quite difficult to imagine for some people. Hmm. So let's let's sort of change gears then. So lots of working people now will likely be dreaming of retiring. Yeah. But it doesn't always go so well, does it, for a lot of people? So let's have a look at some of the issues that people face when they do retire and you know, they don't have a job anymore. Maybe they don't have a purpose or something. You know, what negative thoughts come with that or negative experiences? Well, I didn't, um, I specifically didn't look at the transition space in my research, but I did do reading around the transition and change is just really difficult. Mm. I think one of, the, one of the things that we don't talk about enough is that what, you know, what is leisure? So leisure is, for most of us, it's what we do when we're not working. So when you stop working, how do you find your leisure? You've got no, no foil, if you like. You, quite often when someone's retired and you'll say to them, um, what, do you, what do you do? And they'll say, I'm retired. And the next question, the follow-up question is, what would you ask them? What did you used to do? Mm. Because, because we're so focused on that as a society, on, on that work role. Um, and sometimes they'll lead with what they used to do. I'm a retired teacher. I'm a retired geneticist, wh- whatever they might be. And I think that that loss of identity isn't such a worry if someone's had a, a satisfying work life because they can talk about what they did as opposed to what they now do. And then they can talk about what they now do, which is probably lots of really interesting and fun things. And they can, you know, they maybe be a role model to you and, and inspire you to think, oh, actually, this looks like it's a really cool thing. But it's scary. I think all change is scary, mm. isn't it? Yeah. So in the things of um, you've written that I've read, you talk about um, a concept known as internalization. Oh, yes, I so do like that one. What does that mean? You know, can you explain that to us? So um, when we are young, everybody's old. And as we age, lots of people are still old. And when we're old, believe it or not, loads of people are still old. So in my, in my research, so my research was really, it's quite an interesting methodology. I read people's diaries. It sounds really rude, but obviously I had permission to do that. And it helped me to understand their day-to-day lives. And um, one of the things that I understood was that they saw 
old people as other. Does that make sense? Yes, that so, makes absolutely so sense. So as, as something else other than them. Um, so they would um, talk about their day in their diary and they'd say all the wonderful things they'd done to show how how free and how interesting their lives were and how, how rich their lives were, which they really, really were, really wonderful lives they had. And then they would, if the diary day fell on a day when they didn't really have much to say, or maybe they'd just watch TV or, or something like that, they'd pull in some other old person. That sounds awful, but they'd then they'd start to tell a story about a friend of a friend who was really old and really disabled or widowed or something awful had happened to them. So they would invoke, if you like, this idea of unfortunate old people, mm. that they felt they were really brave old people. They were really sad and they were really unfortunate. And this is the way that they talked about other old people. And in that way, they were able to feel more certain that they weren't yet an old person. And I think it's, it's quite a common experience. I know um, you know, my daughter thinks anyone over 23 is positively elderly, you know, so it's, it's all, you know, all the way through. But you find that even people in their 90s will look at people in their 70s and consider them to be old. And they'll right. say, oh, that, that poor old dear that lives down the road, she's having a terrible <laughs> time. And that's, um, and so when I say internalised ageism, there's partly that, which is people are ageist against other old people, but also that they, um, they think about, who they are in the world like you know you think about where you are as a midlife person the kinds of things you do you're allowed to do that's socially sanctioned that society expects of you Mm. and then you work out whether or not it's comfortable for you to do that do you feel dissonant or consonant in your in your doings in the day-to-day so if you have quite a, a view of yourself as as a little bit older and an understanding of how society views old people particularly given how you view old people, then it might restrict what you did from day to day. Because you might think, oh, I, I can't do that because I'm old. Um, and what would people say? And that sounds really flippant. But actually, that was one of the biggest constraints to having a good life I found in my research. People concerned that they didn't want to fall out with the tribe by misbehaving or doing things that weren't health promoting and good for them. And that's... Um, it's a little bit sad because you think if someone's got into their 90s, they're probably doing something right, aren't they? They must be. You know, so why not, you know, why not trust their instincts? But but they find themselves very, um, you know, it's not that other people are saying to them, oh, you can't do that, you're too old. It's that they're saying to themselves, well, what if I did that and something went wrong? What trouble would I be in? You know, would people judge me? That's really something that I wanted to speak about. But like just coming off what you said so i don't know if you know about this or if you studied it but um so i'll be honest i'm 43 but i still feel like i i it's 1998 and i'm 18 you know what what goes on in our heads when we feel so much younger than we are i think it's because age is it's gonna be a bit contentious here as a, a later life research but age is kind of a rubbish way of organizing society because people age at such different rate you know when we talk about aging we actually mean people getting maybe um vulnerable or ill or disabled in some way or poor or frail and all of those things can happen to someone at any point at all in their life so so it's not a very good way of organizing us generally so when you feel 18 it's because you are feeling fit and fabulous and you're socializing with people of different ages you're happy to do that and you know that's that's how 
most people have a slightly, sometimes 18, 23 is a popular age, I think, to feel. I'm, I'm around about 23 all the time. So it's, <laughs> except when I'm 13, which is not a good one. But, um, but it's that, um, that sense of, of your identity doesn't match with how society views your age should be because society is not really right about age. And that's what needs to change. Mm. We can think we're any age we like because society's not right about age. That's fascinating. I think an excellent point, which everyone should take home. So let's think about retirement then. You know, hopefully we'll all get there at some point. So let's have a look at how we can do a better job of that. So I remember when when my father retired, he said to me, I'm not going to be lazy. I'm not going to, you know, I'm do, 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 I'll walk the dog, I'll do this. And w- what you did in his defense, but you know, what are the, what are the, what is your advice to do for someone who's retired? How can you have a healthy retirement? Well, I would, I would say that the first thing to do is to consider what you mean by healthy. So it might be about physical health, but you might not have physical health. So it mm. could be about how happy you are in the day, how connected you are. Um, one of the big things that came through in my research was about connections with other people. So as we know, other people can be heaven and other people can be hell. So this this kind of connection with other people is really important in our lives because we are a very social species and we do need each other to survive. And so I think being conscious that, you know, if you set a, a rule for yourself, then that becomes a chore. So if you Mm. have to walk the dog every day because it's fit and healthy and it's good for you, that's a chore. So in my research, people were very fit, moving around and doing things, not everyone, but lots of them, busy, busy, busy doing things. But those things, they didn't really talk about much. They just said things like, did the rowing machine, went to the gym, did this, did that, went for a walk, you know, had a quick brisk walk, went for the paper. You know, all these things that they did that we'd normally think of as healthy things, particularly around physical activity, they just pop down quickly but then they went to town when they talked about other things so one of my favorite stories from my whole research project was a lady who loved to iron she really enjoyed ironing and the reason she enjoyed ironing it's so delightful so she tells a story about when her daughter bearing in mind her daughter must be in her 60s by now when her daughter was a young girl she'd gone on a trip to Italy and in her trip she had worn these beautiful flowery blouses and when she came home and dumped her laundry on her mother. Her mother did the laundry and hung the hung the blouses up on the line. And as they floated on the line, she thought oh, she must have looked so pretty in Italy, wandering around the streets in that blouse. And then, as she ironed those blouses, she imagined her daughter parading around, being beautiful and gorgeous and fabulous. And now, every time she irons, she's taken back to that memory of that the relationship she has with her daughter, and the the joy of the thought of her being there. She wasn't even on that holiday herself. She didn't even see those things. This was before mobile phones. But just that idea that her daughter was having this beautiful, lovely time um, and through ironing, she she remembers those times and that connection. And so for her, she really looks forward to her ironing. It's one of the things that brings her joy. And, and that was because it's so unexpected. I think that was lovely. That idea of the way you can, you know, it's how you feel about something. It's how you feel about what you're doing that matters. And nobody else knows what that is because it's so private to you. So many other people in the study did other things which wouldn't necessarily be socially sanctioned, like drinking a lot of whiskey or gambling a lot, for example. 
But they were able to really explain how those things were leisurely and were acceptable. So the gambler, for example, he learned an awful lot through doing it. He learned about stocks and shares and all sorts of things. And one of those key pillars of active aging is about learning, isn't it? And he knows that. So he might not go walking or anything else, but he's a really keen learner. And he knows that, you know, if he says, I'm a gambler, that's no good. But if he's learning about all of these lovely things to do with, you know, making good bets, then for him, he feels he's being a very good active ager. That's really interesting. And I just have to say that ironing story is perhaps the sweetest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's beautiful, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. There were so many like that. I mean, I was really, you know, I was lucky there were... Um, 26 people and each of them at least 15,000 pages of um, not pages 15,000 words of diary entries so I had loads of just beautiful stories like that just of the 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 real meaning the detail of of you know what what is joyous in your life and actually if it's just your mind floating off to a cute time then that's that's well worth having so what I was going to ask next is about like um, taking up hobbies, a new hobby yeah. in your retirement. You know, how beneficial is that? Well, any research you read will tell you that pretty much everything that you could take up that is of interest to the researcher is good for you. I think personally, variety is a spice of life. So doing, trying things, I think I'm coming back to love again, but I think we love doing things. We love the things we do. And that's why we do them. And we might tell other people that we don't really love them or they're a chore because we have to kind of negotiate with everyone else, don't we, what we do in our lives. You know, I, you, you love doing things and you say, oh, it helps me learn. It helps me keep fit. But actually you do it because you love it. So, um, so yeah, what should people do? Um, I think just try stuff because we don't know. So, we, we're, you know, all that stuff I was saying at the beginning about um, our situation in life where we land that also defines the kinds of things we think are appropriate for us to do, the kinds of things we have the opportunity to do. Um, you know, you don't get to have piano lessons if you come from a, a very difficult background in a country with no piano. So it's, you know, the things we get to do are part of our geography. But as you get older, you can you can push that a bit and you can say, well, I'm going to try something that I haven't tried before because I might love it. I might hate it, but I don't care. I'm going to give it a go. And if I don't like it, that's okay. I won't do it again. And that's quite entertaining. I'll tell someone I know about it. It'll be a good story because everybody loves to tell a good story. But if you do enjoy it, it might be something that you do again, or you might just bank that enjoyment, like the ironing lady, you know, bank that and just use it another time when you're a bit doing something mundane. So that is so like, in a way, like beautiful and life affirming. But by way of summary, like what are your top tips to having a healthy retirement you know what should we do i would say don't worry about things you can't control so don't worry that you know there may be a new financial horror coming around the corner because if it does come you will cope with it it won't be nice but you'll cope with it um try not to worry too much about your health and the health of people around you except for to have screening and make sure you're looking after yourself because again it's not something you can particularly control um but do take opportunities to try new things and through doing that maybe meet new people because that expanding your social circle just even by one person can enrich your life in in really unexpected ways and different ages of people as well don't just stick with people that won't judge you go go and hang out with people that will judge you because they're even more fun (laughs) 
That was Tanya Wiseman, Associate Professor of Occupational Therapy at Swansea University. Thank you for listening to this episode of Instant Genius, brought to you from the team behind BBC Science Focus magazine. The current issue of BBC Science Focus is out now. Pick up a copy wherever you buy your favourite magazines, or download a digital copy from your preferred app store. You can, of course, also find us online at sciencefocus.com.